what's eventually going to be the battlefield of Antietam and listen it's probably going to be a small skirmish not a big deal that's why we have the studio set up wait a second if he's so smart why is he trampling on the constitution just because you don't like the guy if he's, Mike, if he's, he's a, a smart lawyer like, why listen, is you don't, he just wait because a second you don't like why, the guy, wait a second wait a second wait a minute wait a second, wait a second. Mike, Jim don't yell you let why me get is my he, point wait in, a second right, you know thanks for the call you're gone I, I'm not going to yell over you okay all right, we're back. This is Mike Zahn, and you are listening to The Bridge. Back after this. Shut up and sit down. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to go viral for impersonating Mike Francesa? We'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 94 of The Bridge. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 24 hours after the initial broadcast which means you can find the newest episode and additional content from the show on Thursday nights on iTunes, under the Bridge Sports Podcast, or on my website at londonbridge.com. I'll save all the ways you can listen to the bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text in to the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact this show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. Although fans of the Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots hate each other, it's hard to say there's been a heated rivalry between both teams. Since Tom Brady has been quarterback, the Pats have 27 wins over the Bills, with 14 of them coming on the road. Still, away games are no walk in the park in Buffalo, regardless of the team, and Bill's Mafia is always sure to welcome Brady and the Pats with a burned jersey at the tailgate and taunts throughout the game. 
But last year brought something different to the party when one fan hurled a sex toy onto the field during the game right into a live play. And now a little over one year later, it happened again. This past Sunday during the game, the Patriots would then win handily 23-3. To celebrate, let's take a look back of the original Tom Brady's dildo. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. It's no secret that Buffalo Bills fans, lovingly known as Bills Mafia, participate in their fair share of shenanigans during the infamous Sunday tailgates. Whether it's grown men crashing through beer pong tables or fans performing wrestling moves on a rubber bust of Tom Brady, things can get a little interesting to say the least, and you never know what's going to hit the internet each week. So it was no surprise that the latest prank pulled this past Sunday came at the Buffalo Bills game. The biggest surprise, however, was what this fan had up his sleeve when Buffalo hosted the New England Patriots. Or should I say, what this fan had in his pants. Late in the third quarter, the Patriots held a 31-17 lead and were once again on the cusp of scoring another touchdown. On first and goal, Tom Brady tossed a screen pass to wide receiver Chris Hogan, who was then tackled around the three-yard line. A simple enough scenario, but a closer look revealed that a long rubber object appeared to hit the end zone, bounce once or twice, and come to a rest at the one-yard line. A referee called for time, and upon closer inspection, realized what the object actually was. That's right, a fan had thrown a sex toy onto the football field. And not just any woman's whoopee stick. An inscription was written on the rubber rod of pleasure that the one-eyed object was indeed Tom Brady's. No player on the field was hit by the flailing phallus, but one poor referee was tasked with kicking the joystick off of the field, where it then lay limp and flaccid for the remainder of the game. The question was, who indeed was the trouser snake thrower? Thankfully, the Dirty Sports Podcast managed an exclusive interview with the wanker whaler to provide us all with answers. The gentleman who tossed the tallywhacker said that he and his girlfriend had attended a costume party the night before the game and dressed as 70s porn stars. Upon waking up, he noticed that she had left behind a certain accessory for the costume. Curiously enough, his first thought was, that's Tom Brady's sex toy, and wrote as such in Sharpie before bringing the personal pleasure prosthetic to the game. He wore two pair of pants for safekeeping, but fortunately was not patted down by security to have to explain if there was a fake fire hose in his pants or if he was just happy to see them. In the third quarter, it was finally time to flash the fun stick, and the third leg was thrown all the way onto the field. The impressive part was the distance that the little lover was launched 
and the fan was sitting about 18 rows back from the field of play. It takes athletes years to perfect throwing a javelin or a discus, but the Willy Whipper managed to have one of the best tosses the National Football League might have seen this season. He also could have created the next great Bills Mafia tailgate game in the process. The following morning, even Tom Brady commented on the case of the fictitious phallus on a radio show, saying, quote, Yes, I did. I did see it. I thought it was funny the ref didn't want to pick it up. He was kicking it. Nobody wanted to reach down and grab it. But unfortunately for Bills fans, the tale of the schlong slinger had an unhappy ending, since the Tom Brady toy was the only thing that could get up for Sunday's game. I'm John Lund, for Sports News, read like real news. Let's take a quick break to throw ourselves through a table. When we come back, we'll talk to someone who gained viral fame for his impersonation of Mike Francesa. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know, what is your favorite Mike Francesa moment and why? A quick housekeeping note, next week will be our last show in 2017, and unfortunately, there will not be a second annual Christmas Spectacular and Year in Review show. But in lieu of that, we've got something planned that will certainly fill the void, which we'll get into in a little bit. For now, however, here's a little taste of Christmas for you, since we'll be unable to do this next week. One of the more popular segments from Last Spectacular that still holds up in 2017. The holiday season is time to visit family and friends, but sometimes there's no telling who might show up at your door for the Christmas party. Here's a look at some of the guests you might see show up to your door for Christmas dinner and what professional coaches best represent each person. Here now in The Bridge, who's coming for Christmas? Of course, our parents, Los Angeles Clippers head coach Doc Rivers and Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr. How are you guys? Who else? Ah, right, our grandparents, Duke's Coach K and Alabama's Nick Saban. How are you guys? Hey, it's our hippie grandparents, GD Buss and Phil Jackson. What a couple you guys make. Hey, do you got the swinger living in your back room? Joe Madden, the manager of the Chicago Cubs. What a house. And you guys even brought the van. You guys are something else with your zen and your ideas. Oh, and coming up the sidewalk behind you are great-grandparents, Vin Scully and Vern Lundquist. Man, you guys are something. So glad you guys could make it this year. 
Oh, who could that be? Oh, our in-laws, Pete Carroll of the Seattle Seahawks and John Calipari of the Kentucky Wildcats. We know you guys sometimes like to leave town if there's problems, so glad to see you were able to make it again this year. Up, oh, let's see who this could be. Oh, we've got our younger brother who still takes answers from his older brother, Jason Garrett, the coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Jason, how you doing? Yep, we'll see who's here now. Oh, it's our kissy aunt who just wants people to love her. Rex Ryan, the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. Good of you to come, Rex. Good of you to... All right, stop touching my cheeks. I get it. Stop kissing me. Okay. Oh, and I see behind you, we've got our drunk uncle, Houston Texans head coach, Bill O'Brien. You guys write the narratives, Brian. I'm not a narrator. I'm not an author. I'm not a journalist. You are the narrative man, you guys and women. So you guys write the narrative however you want. You guys good? Oh, and it's our political uncle, NBA head coach Stan Van Gundy. How you doing, sir? If you scurry out of the way, we've got the uncle who never looks up from reading the paper, New York Giants head coach Ben McAdoo, who spends a good portion of the game studying his playbook. Another knock, another guest. Oh, look, it's the wise uncle that pulls you aside throughout the night to give you advice, but doesn't really add any context to that advice. It's Steelers head coach, Mike Tomlin. Mike, how are you? We will not go gently. Uh, we're going to unleash hell here in December because we have to. We won't go into shell. We're going to go in attack mode because uh, that's what's required. Wonderful, wonderful. Who else is at the door? Hey, it's the cool uncle who rides his Harley, even though it's winter time. Jack Del Rio, head coach of the Raiders. How are you, sir? Oh, and you've got the Ann who's slowly losing her memory and just spurting out whatever comes to mind. Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh. How are you, Jim? We'll see who else is at the door. It's Ant Know-It-All, Chip Kelly, the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, making changes, doing her thing. Please tell me how you're going to revolutionize the world, Chip. Tell me all about it. Oh, looks like we've already got some people that scurried in the door under my watch. Everybody's gathered around the table. Who we got over there? We've got your sister's punk boyfriend, Jim Caldwell, head coach of the Detroit Lions. Haven't seen him smile yet. Next to him, the emo goth teenage twins who would rather be doing just about anything else than have to sit here and talk to us. Greg Popovich, head coach of the Spurs, and Bill Belichick, head coach of the New England Patriots. Hey, guys. Moving down, moving down. Oh, oh there's the cousin that might be pregnant, but we're too afraid to ask. Marvin Lewis, Cincinnati Bengals. Is he really a good coach, should we ask? I mean, he makes the playoffs sometimes, but they never win. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Next to her, the college dropout cousin working at the local Rite Aid, Gus Bradley of the Jacksonville Jaguars. How are you, Gus? Speaking of jobs, there's the cousin who just lost his job and is in a midlife crisis that no one's going to want to talk about the rest of the night. Jeff Fisher, formerly of the LA Rams. Jeffrey, hey! <laughs> Oh, there's a late knock at the door. Who could that be? Oh, we've got the cousin who's always late because of poor clock management. Andy Reid of the Chiefs. Hey, Andy. Who'd you bring with you tonight? Oh, there's the cousin that had a lot of things going for him but ended up back living in his parents' basement. 
Eric Spolstra of the Miami Heat. And we've also got the cousin who just took over the family business, Tyron Liu, Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh, there's the last knock at the door. I think this should be it for our guest list. Who we've got here? Ah, yes, the creepy, creepy uncle who spends more time looking at the much younger family members than he does his own wife, Dallas Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones. Now to this week's guest in Bill Buchanan. You might know him better as Mike Zahn. His portrayal of Mike Francesa as if he were doing a show during some big events in history and other pop culture moments in recent years. Bill's interview will also be part of a slew of others for next week's show deemed the Mike Francesa Goodbye Tour Extravaganza. As many of you assuredly know, Mike is retiring from WFAN after 30 years behind the microphone on Friday, December 15th, and we'll celebrate his career with featured guests who worked with Mike and near Mike, guests who listened to Mike and the Mad Dog and still listen to Mike on his own, and guests who all have some sort of ties to Mike Francesa and even ties to the bridge as well. So in a way, this show is a good preview or trailer of what's to come next week. And since Wednesday's live show on Sports Radio America can only fill 55 minutes, you'll hear an abridged version of this interview on Wednesday at 7 Eastern time, as well as an abridged version of the show in general. You'll then be able to hear the entire show in all its glory on Thursday's podcast on iTunes and on LondonBridge.com which will be the day before Mike says goodbye to the fan. Now, though, we'll hear from Bill Buchanan about going viral for his Mike Francesa character, Mike Zahn, what his inspiration was for making the videos and putting them together, what it was like to do his impersonation in front of Mike Francesa himself, what Mike means to sports radio and his retirement, and more. You can follow Bill on Twitter. He's no longer at BizarroZon. You can find him at Big Action Bill. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Bill Buchanan. He is the creator of the Mike Zahn parody videos, and he's been kind enough to join the show. And I wanted to turn back the clocks a little bit with you, Bill, to get started and ask when you first started listening to Mike Francesa. Well, I started listening to Mike, uh, Mike and the Mad Dog, probably, you know, their last, I'd say, one or two years, because I was helping uh, my dad on his Boar's Head route. So, you know, I, I'd listen to the whole WFAN lineup pretty much, uh, morning to afternoon drive when I was helping my dad at work. So probably around 2007, I would say, is when I, I really started listening. And there were just, to be honest, I could not stand listening to it. I thought it was very boring. Uh, I still think sports radio in general is very like I'm not a big sports radio guy. I just I can't listen to people talk seriously about sports for that long. Um, but then you know I started to appreciate all the little funny things that Mike does, and uh, that started to make it really enjoyable. And I loved listening to him for that reason. Uh, but I never really had anybody to joke about it with, and that's when I discovered uh, that there was a community on Twitter that really you know, goofed on him pretty much every show. And I I just followed all those people like 
uh, WFAN audio. I followed WFAN trades on Twitter. Those guys and the the uh, parody Mike Francesa account, and th- those accounts cracked me up. And that's what really got me into listening. And you know, Twitter Twitter was a big part of it for me. You know, obviously, I know a lot of these guys have been on, you know, the internet. Um, you know, on uh, the Mike Francesa board. That's been that's been around like forever, which that was before I started listening. So obviously he's been a big hit on the Internet for a long time. That's probably what made it uh, special for me was to be able to joke about his shows while they were going on with people on the Internet. What do you think makes him stand out to have funny moments in the show or, or make him unique in a sense where he's not the same, especially as shows now get more into those hot take and rant modes. What sort of made his show enjoyable for you as someone that wasn't necessarily into sports talk radio? Absolutely. It's his personality. It's who he is. It's just his whole backstory. It's, you know, it's, it's a, that's why it's going to be impossible to replace him because, I mean, do I really want to hear these people talk about sports for four or five hours? Not really. I mean, to be honest, do I want to hear Mike talk about sports for four or five hours? Also, not really. However, because his personality, he's just so arrogant and just so, you know, he never admits he's wrong. He never he never thinks he does anything wrong. It's things like that that are just so funny. I, For me personally... I like people. I think people with big egos are hysterical. I, I really think they're funny. Like they are the, people with big egos. I can watch them and listen to them do anything, and I think it's hysterical because even when it's so obvious they're wrong, they think they're right, and they just have this little smile on their face or this, you know, this smugness to them that I just think is hysterical. And that's Francesa. He's just so arrogant, but it, it's like a, in a funny way because really, what is he talking about? He's talking about sports which in the long run doesn't matter. It's just a fun thing that lets us get angry every now and then, you know, sports is that thing we can get angry about and it doesn't really matter. And that's what Mike is. He, he gets mad about it. He, he talks down to people. And that's funny to me because in the end, obviously sports is just a silly thing that we watch and he, t- he takes it so seriously that that to me, I think is really funny in itself. One of many things that's funny that he does. So what made you realize that you had a Mike Francesa impression and then enough to come up with these videos and decide to start putting him into these historical situations and kick this off? Well, let's be honest. The Rebels probably have no chance to win, but if the Rebels have any chance of winning this war, they better trust Benedict Arnold. Because when Benedict Arnold is Benedict Arnold, he's Cornwallis. And when when Cornwallis is Cornwallis, he's Alexander the Great. Okay? So, if you're going to trust anybody in this war, on the rebel side, Ben and Donald's your guy. Back after this. All right, we're back. And uh, uh, now listen. I didn't want to get into this, but, you know, everybody's making a big deal out of it, so I figured, you know, why not? You know, I I was going to ignore it, but, you know, uh, people are talking about it, uh, you know was in the paper the other day this idea that and listen I don't like him I don't like him and I don't support him but this idea that Thomas Jefferson is sleeping around or fooling around one of his slaves I mean all right we're gonna go to the phones now uh John on the farm in Massachusetts what's up John 
Hey, Mike, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good. Good, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, did John Hancock sign that Declaration of Independence? Uh, see, I, I believe he did, yeah. Yeah, John Hancock. John Hancock signed it. I was it, wondering, yeah. uh, out of all the people who signed that, who do you think has the biggest cock? All right, well, you know, you know, that's a, you know, folks, we're in a time of crisis, I guess, so, you know, people, uh, people want to act like clowns, you know, let them act like clowns, I don't care. I mean, they're not going to bother me, they're not going to bother me, I, they're not going to bother me at all, I've been doing this for 25 years, um, you know, so, they're not going to bother me, you know, and I mean, do you really want, if you're the rebels, do you really want the French over there? I mean, they, they're kind of weird, they're weird people, I mean, you ever gone over there, you know, I, I've met King Louis, okay, King Louis is a weird guy, I'll be honest, very weird guy, not, you know, He's a good guy, but weird guy. Okay. You know, they killed more British soldiers. Big deal. Who cares? You retreated the hill. You're done. The battle was over. The British have won the battle. And I'm going to tell you right now, the, the rebels might be claiming victory, but you know, 100, 200 years from now, they're going to be saying, Bunker Hill is where the British beat back the rebels and crushed this rebellion. God save the king. Back after this. Well, when I had the idea for the Mike video, originally I wanted to make a, a parody of just um, a straight parody. Like, all right, let me just make a parody. And then I, I recorded myself doing it. And I'm like, eh, you know, I don't really know where I'm going with this. And I don't really think I sound like him either. So I don't think this is going to work. And then, um, you know, eventually along the lines, I got the idea of putting him in different scenarios, which, you know, other people online had, had done also. Uh, but I'm a big, you know, history nerd, and I, I thought about how funny it would be if he was a red coat, you know, supporting the British like he supports the Yankees, and uh, I thought it was a perfect idea. My main concern, though, was, shit, I, I don't know how to, you know, I, I hope I'm able to do a good enough mic impression so that the jokes still come through. See, I was more proud of the idea. I was more proud of um, the jokes and things like that. The impersonation I didn't think was really all that great, but then people are just like, no, 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 you did, you you did a really good job, you know, when it blew up online. So, uh, yeah, the the imper the me doing the impersonation well, that was unexpected. I did not expect the the reaction to that to be so good. When did you realize that it had blown up virally? And we mentioned obviously the second video was put through Barstool, so that's even a larger audience than you originally had. But when did this really start blowing up from the video itself, from people talking about your impersonation? When did this really be like, wow, this is something huge? Well, it was basically my 15 minutes of fame, so I remember it well, because I'll, I'll probably never have that again. Um, so I remember it was, I think, it was the night of September 30th, I want to say, and I posted the video around, I think, 7 or 8 o'clock, and I was already on Twitter at this point, so I had some people on there that I tweeted it out to, like, hey, I made this funny video, uh, see if you like it. And some of the main Francesca accounts on there, like, loved it, and they started retweeting it out. And it started, it started you know, spreading online pretty uh, rapidly. And then, you know, I woke up in the morning to go to work, and it was still, like, spreading and then i remember seeing that craig carton had retweeted it out so i knew the morning guys saw it and actually the boomer and carton show whoever runs their twitter account at the time he they messaged me about it and i was getting all these messages from wfan people and I, it was really really cool and then people started messaging me saying you know oh they're, they're playing your your video on opie and anthony and 
it feels weird saying Opie and Anthony and Boomer and Carton, both those shows don't exist anymore. <laughs> a lot's happened in four years. Uh, but that was, that was cool for me. Cause I, I listened to all these shows and they're playing something I made. So that was like a really cool moment. That, that was probably the coolest thing. Did you have thoughts of that being it? Or was this fuel to the fire to be like, I need to continue this and continue making other parodies from other historical events? Yeah, so I'm like, wow, you know, I could probably keep making a few of these and, you know, it kind of works. I could just keep putting Mike in different historical scenarios, keep using inside jokes that we have about Mike and like kind of mix them up. Uh, And then I made the Civil War video and I got so into that video. Hello, the phones now. First up, we got Dan in Charleston, South Carolina. What's going on, Dan? Hey, Mike, how you doing? Good, what's up? Yeah, I was just wondering if you'd want to hear my top five generals. Well, real, real excited. Go ahead. All right. First, I have Alexander the Great. Second, I have Audie Lang. Okay. Yeah. Third, Baba. Why do you even Baba? It's not gonna get on the air. I don't know. Does Audie like give you like a gold star or something for doing things like that? I don't understand. Why don't you do something useful with your time? God, I mean, why don't you go help somebody? Yeah, you wait on the line. He waited on the line for two hours to do that. Two hours. Why don't you go help somebody? Why don't you go help somebody bring back their lost slaves or the runaway slaves or something? Help somebody. Do something nice for a change. God. Uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, my father recently passed away and he really loved his shit. Uh, sorry. Gonna have to cut you off there. Uh, call back another time. Uh, we now welcome in the General of the Union out west. Uh, probably the only member of the Union that will come on with me nowadays. Uh, General Ulysses S. Grant. General, welcome to the show. How are you? And I think I made it, I made it way too long. I made the, the initial video, I think it was like three minutes. And the Civil War video was, uh, I think it was like eight minutes, which was a mistake. I mean, you, you really don't want to put anything on the internet that's more than like two or three minutes because people's attention spans. I also, I put so much, um, a lot of my material went into that one and I'm just like, ah, crap, I made the too long. Um, this is this is just going to jump the shark now. And, it, you know, yeah, and I mean, it kind of did. So I was just like, ah, crap, I probably shouldn't make it. I shouldn't make that many more of these. Uh, so from then on in, you know, I kind of just viewed it as a hobby, which is really what it is. I'm not a professional filmmaker. I'm not a professional actor or anything like that. It's just a hobby. It's something I do for fun. Um, so whenever I had a fun idea, I'm like, yeah, this is funny. It makes me laugh. So I'm going to make it. That's pretty much the way it went from then on in. Uh, only if it was an idea I thought was funny would I make it. How much research went into both the historical aspect of the videos and the impersonation aspect of the videos? Or did it almost come a little bit easier since you were such an avid listener of the show and obviously a fan of history as well? Well, I was so obsessed with Mike at that point that I, I already knew all the, the jokes and everything. I, they were pretty much, the jokes were writing themselves in my head. I, they were popping up in my head pretty quickly. And the history stuff, I mean, I, I love history. So I was just, for, you know, didn't have to do too much research. Uh, just for, for a couple of, like, refreshers, I would, you know, read a few different books just to make sure I was getting certain things right. Uh, and it also inspired more jokes. And it's funny when I would meet people at Francesicon or wherever uh, that wanted to talk about my videos, a lot of them were just like, you know, I learned a few things from your videos. And 
I was like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. I'm, I'm happy you learned something. Because uh, I think the Civil War video where I talked about the battle, I think it was the Battle of Antietam. Like, some people didn't even know what that was. And I was just like, well, you should. That's like the bloodiest battle in American history. And <laughs> the fact that, I, I mean, it's it's kind of messed up that, you know, I made a joke of it. But anyway, at least I know what it is now. <laughs> Sports guys, Probably not the best, I guess, history buffs they're more concerned about. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I think it was Francesicon 3. I was backstage getting ready, and Greg Giannotti was there, who's going to be uh, the other host of the morning show now, Boomer. And I, I'm so happy to see Giannotti because I always thought he did. One, he does a better mic impression than I do. And two, he does like the best Joe Beningo impression. So I met him backstage and he told me when him and his friend, I think we're on like a road trip or something down there. And they, they passed Antietam and they just started, they started laughing because of my videos. <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh my God, that's really funny. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. So of the, we'll say the, the three originals of the revolutionary war, the civil war and going back to 1943 do you have a favorite of the three of those well i think 1776 is definitely the you know the favorite of mine that's favorite of mine probably the favorite of everybody else's uh civil war like i said i probably put the most effort into but the world war ii one uh i think it was 1943 uh that was the that that i had the most fun making because i got to make that with uh, mike benevento The heroic defense of Stalingrad. The Soviet army turning the Nazi six-month assault into the most ghastly military disaster in German history. Nothing can get by him. Turning on a giant. Mike and the Mad Dog. W.F.A. Mike and the Mad Dog Radio Program coming to you on this Tuesday, the 2nd of February, the year 1943. Nice to have you with us. Talk to you about the word at war. I want to make a point about FDR. Go ahead. Do you think he'll be added to Mount Rushmore? Mm, no. But why? Because you ruined the monument. Mike, look at oh, his stats, Mike. He, He's been there forever. He's a compiler. He's not a good president. He's just been there forever. James Buchanan, if you put him in the White House for three terms, he he does some pretty good stats too. And let's be honest, and I know, listen, I'm a hard marker, but let's be honest, Teddy shouldn't be on there either. Taft, Taft was a trust buster. Teddy just had a big mouth. And as the story goes, is that he's, you know, helping the Allied troops. He has a big shield, there's a star on it. You know, he, he actually punched Hitler in the jaw. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> and, uh... They actually call him Captain America. True story? No, no, it's not a true story. It's fiction, a comic book. You know, guys, I actually have a cousin over in Germany. And from what I'm hearing, this guy Hitler, he actually, uh, he swings both ways, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, jeez. Poorly produced. Another clown. I don't get it. Hitler's... Hitler's not a baseball player. No, I, what I think the caller was saying there, Mike, was... Hitler uh, appreciates the company of men. Also, do I? That doesn't mean anything. Because that gives it some juice. So welcome a special guest today, Mike and the Mad Dog Radio Program. 
the Prime Minister of Italy, uh, Benito Mussolini, uh, also goes by the name El Duce. That's that's El Duce. El Duce. And what did I say? Well, we're not going to get into that. Uh, Benito, welcome. How are you? Great, um, Michael. How are you? Good. Uh, my first question uh, that I got for you here is, uh, are you worried? The Allies are wondering right now, can Patton be Patton? Because when you have Patton backed up by MacArthur, backed up by Eisenhower, you have a pretty good chance. Can Patton be Patton? And right now, you don't think the I don't think the Allies think Patton's Patton right now, because right now they're they're leaning towards Eisenhower leading the invasion of Europe. But can Patton be Patton? Because when Patton is Patton, he's Robert E. Lee. And normally, when I'm making these videos, I'm all by myself. I'm just doing. I'm doing everything by myself. I'm talking to myself, recording myself, all this stuff. And it's actually pretty sad if you think about it. Um, and this was the first video where I was, where I was working with someone and it took, it took longer because we kept laughing at each other. So we kept having to like redo things. Uh, Mike Benavento is hysterical. And some of the things he was doing with the mad dog impersonation, uh, <laughs> it, it, it just killed me. I mean, he, he's great to work with. So you mentioned getting to perform in a sense at francesicon doing it with uh, just your yourself as in mike didn't go to that one but then getting to perform with mike in front of mike and chris hiding in the back what was that like for you to do your impression the first time and and kind of get that cult following fandom for one francesicon and then when mike shows up you get to do it for him in a sense and and kind of just show your craft to the person you're impersonating so francesicon too we had heard that all right there's a good chance mike might show up to this thing now i thought all right maybe he'll show up after maybe he, you know i don't i didn't have an idea what was going to happen nobody did however I, in the back of my head, by the, the rare chance that he decided to come on stage and say I was on stage too, I already said, I'm like, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm going to let him do his thing. Like the second he's there, he's, uh, you know, the real Frances is here. So the, the fake Frances is going to shut up. And that's basically what happened. But when he came on stage, it, it was actually funny because, you know, we have a couple of jokes that, you know, me and Benevento, we have a couple of jokes that we plan ahead of time. But after probably, uh, I don't know, the first few jokes, we really are just kind of uh, ad-libbing. We're just kind of going off the cuff. And at that point, when Mike came on stage, it was at the perfect time because, like, I was just out of, I was out of shit to say. Like, I, I flat out just ran out of material, and I was just kind of bouncing off of Mike. And then Francesca comes on stage, and I'm just like, I took my phone out right away. I was just like, oh, my God, I'm taking a picture. Like, I was, like, starstruck. I was like, holy shit. Um, and yeah, I don't think I said a word unless he actually asked me a question, which I think he he wanted me to do an impersonation of him like right there and then, which I, I was totally like, oh, shit, now I don't know what to say. So I did. I forgot what I said, but uh, he was definitely more impressed with uh, Benevento because Benevento wasn't making fun of him. So <laughs> what made you decide to later transition into pop culture aspects with Mike doing Game of Thrones and True Detective? Uh, well, pretty much like I said, you know, if I had an idea that I thought was funny, I was just going to do it. And if I thought it was like doable and I was, it was in my, within my limited ability to do it, 
um, I was just going to go for it. And I'm actually really, I'm happy the way those videos came out. I know it's like, it's funny because when I was making those videos, I'm like, well, these aren't going to be as popular because one, you have to be a Francesa fan and two, you have to have watched either of these shows. So that kind of limits, you know, the amount of views I'm going to get, the amount of people that are going to care about it. Um, but I'm happy I made those because at the end of the day, I was just like, I'm not a professional. I'm just, I'm doing this for fun. And if these are fun to make and there's enough people out there that enjoy them, then I'm going to keep making them. And that's pretty much how I've been, you know, doing it the last few years. Maybe I'll make one video a year, but you know, I'll do it because I thought it was like a funny idea. And, uh, I don't think I've regretted any of the videos I've made really, to be honest. I, I've, I've enjoyed them all. I've enjoyed making them. I've enjoyed all the feedback. And everything that's come with it it's uh it's been a lot of fun um you know uh, it's it sounds silly because it's just it's such a silly thing but it, it's been like a pretty uh important part of my life it's been pretty nice yeah it's interesting especially when the newer ones came out it, it was kind of like a, a christmas morning surprise for people because they weren't sure if there would ever be videos again and then when it was released as you said it was this like underground uprising again of oh man there's another one and it was shared just as as popular as the first original ones kind of like a, a groundhog seeing his shadow in a sense that uh, <laughs> you're coming back into the fold maybe once a year to to put something together and i know there's been talks that perhaps the character is retired. Is that true? Is the character retired? Are the videos done? Or are you planning to still surprise us here and there in the future? Uh, you know, I'll never say never, but, you know, I, I don't, uh, I mean, I, I haven't planned anything to make, to make anything, you know. I actually don't even have the, uh, the fat suit or the wig anymore, so that, <laughs> that might ruin any surprises. I don't even have that stuff anymore. But uh, yeah, you you, know, you never know because you know that's the thing. Mike's retiring from WFAN. It doesn't mean he's retiring, you know, in life. I mean, the guy's not dying. So I'm sure down the road, you know, something maybe I'll make something or something will come together. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a video. Maybe I'll. I don't even know if they're doing Francesicon anymore or not. But you know, maybe I'll do that. You never know. I mean, it's just like a like I said, it's like this weird, silly part of my life that. Every time someone new comes into my life, I know at some point I'm going to have to explain to them this really weird thing that I do <laughs> like once a year. <laughs> and, you know, it's very hard to explain, but uh, I, I'm very grateful for it. I think it's like awesome. I love it. But never, never say never. A fantastic tease for anyone listening that keep an eye out. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I guess the last one is, is there something that you'll miss the most from Mike leaving the fan? I, I know that he's obviously going to be doing something, whether he ends up back with Chris in some aspect with Sirius. He's not just going to sit at home and twiddle his thumbs. I don't think he could. So no. I, I'm sure he'll be back in another aspect. But just knowing that he'd be there every day and him being such a big part of so many people's lives as listeners, is there something that stands out that you might miss the most from him not being on each day? Well, there's a few things. Uh, one of them being, you know, obviously his sport takes, obviously. But uh, the thing with Mike that's interesting is it was always his opinions on things that weren't sports that, to me, I, I'd always listen to. It was like I always wanted to know what is what he thought about this or that or every other random thing. And I'll miss those little tidbits of random information that he gives out. Um and obviously, uh, you know, after like a bad Jets loss, because I'm a Jets and a Mets fan. So like 
after those two teams like blow a lead or something, or there's a bad loss, I'll, I'll miss, you know, rushing to my radio at one o'clock, turning him on and being like, all right, I can't wait for him to just to destroy my team. Um, or, you know, just the callers listening to call like the, <laughs> the callers call him up and just pose these stupid questions and him just like <laughs> completely crapping all over them. I'll miss that. Uh, but mostly it's, it's weird how it's, it's kind of coinciding with my personal life because I'm, I'm not going to be doing the job that I've been doing for the past, like seven or eight years, my full-time job. I'm going to be, you know, looking for a different job soon. So he's retiring and I'm looking for a new job. So it's going to be like, wow, I'm not going to be able to listen to the radio anyway. So it's kind of weird how, cause that's the thing. I, I, I was always able to listen to the radio with the job I, I currently have, which is being a Borsa distributor. I'm, you know, I'm in a truck all day. I'm allowed to listen to the radio, whatever job I get next will be much different. So I'm not going to be able to listen to Mike all day. So it's kind of weird that he is retiring around the same time. So it, it's like my life and his are coinciding in a weird way. I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you want to do a Mike Francesa impersonation on whatever topic you'd like or his zany quotes or whatever, <laughs> if you want to do yeah, that yeah. and I can put you on the spot, I'll let you, uh, nope. as I've been doing, have the air and have at it. Well, I'm, I'm going to preface this with an article that made me crack up. It said, Mike Francesa says he could manage the Yankees. Hey, listen, uh, could I do it? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not hard. I mean, uh, listen, people want to put all this mist shroud of mystery over, you know, managing or coaching. Uh, it, it, folks, it's really not that hard. I mean, I wouldn't worry about all these decisions and all these things. I already know the answers to them. You know, it's like the Easter egg hunt. You know, I, I don't do it because I already know where all the eggs are. Um, and, you know, listen, could I be an NFL coach? Yeah, sure. Now, would they ever hire me? No. One, I'd have to take a pay cut. Two, I'm sure they don't want me, you know, winning every game because that's what would happen. Uh, I'd probably talk to the media every day. I'd actually tell them what questions to ask me, and then obviously answer them, and then ask them. I'd turn the tables on them and ask them questions. Okay, uh, but I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry. Uh, I would be probably a Hall of Fame baseball manager. Five years, people would start talking about me being a Hall of Famer. Because uh, listen, I've already won a lot of championships. The best part about me saying I've won a lot of championships in his voice is that's real. He actually said that, and that's that's my favorite Mike Francesa moment is when somebody called him up. Somebody called him up and actually was calling him out on saying saying that, and he explained it, and it made no sense, and it was like my favorite thing. There was also another moment where he he said that him and Mike Tannenbaum came up in the same system and no one knew what the hell he was talking about. And then he went, listen, we've been around the same people for a very long time. We came up in the same system, okay? We were around Bill Parcells for a very long time. And so anyway, I'm very split on whether I'd rather see Mike as a baseball manager or an NFL coach, but I'd like to see one of the two happen at some point. Thanks again to Bill Buchanan for jumping on the show. We'll now jump into another edition of The Toll Booth with Donnie Wrightside. Donnie is a professional handicapper who knows a thing or two about the lines of the sports world and will be joining the bridge for a weekly segment to help us get on the right side of those lines. He'll offer up some of his best bets to correspond with the bridge fade of the week, where listeners are urged to completely go 
in the opposite direction of what the show picks. For the upcoming weekend, with the line set as of this recording, the bridge fade of the week. With all the drama surrounding the New York Giants over the last couple of weeks, benching Eli Manning to end his 210 consecutive games played streak, firing head coach Ben McAdoo and GM Jerry Reese, then starting Eli Manning again. There's no way they'll be able to rebound and win this week, right? Nah. Give me America's favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys, giving four at MetLife Stadium against the New York football giants. Now to someone who actually knows what he's doing, you can find Donnie at DonnieRightSide.com and at SportsBookReview.com and also follow him on Twitter. He's at RightSideVP. And remember, this segment is for entertainment purposes only. Without further ado, here's this week's edition of The Tollbooth with Donnie Wrightside. Is anybody got a dime? Oh, yeah. I don't have a dime. Somebody's got to go back and get a shitload of dimes. Oh. Hey, folks, Donnie Wrightside here from sportsbookreview.com and donnywrightside.com coming to you here on the bridge. And this is the part of the bridge we call the toll booth, as usual, going strong through football season. Let's end this rest of the year with a bang. Two games as we usually like to pick out here on the toll booth, designed to put more money in your pocket than you started off with. It's only one game in college football this week, folks, so we're going to pick on that one to start. And then, of course, we're going to flip over to some NFL action for us that we can maybe dig on and make some money there as well. On 12-9, that's Saturday, 3 p.m. start. The boys will be on the field in Philadelphia, 103-104. Army, Navy, traditionalists. Everybody loves this football game, right? Well, it's the only football game on Saturday in Major Division I college football. So we're going to dig on that right now as we look at the numbers here. Pretty even split here in betting. 51% of the tickets currently coming in on the Army Knights here versus the Navy midshipmen. Over-under in this game opened up anywhere between 48 to 51. Now sitting a little bit lower, folks, at an over-under of 46. But we're going to dig in on the side in this one between Army Navy currently sitting here at minus three in the favor of the Navy midshipmen. The one thing that you got to like about Army throughout the season, even if we take a look at a quick game, five game snapshot there, play everybody tough. Beat Eastern Michigan by one point. Uh, beat Temple by three points. Beat Air Force 21 to nothing. Beat Duke 21 to 16 and lost to North Texas in a shootout 52 to 49. So they can, can accommodate both ways. Play a high scoring game, play it close, all in the North Texas game, or they can ground and pound with Duke, Air Force, and Temple and get after it. If you take a look at Navy, overall, to me, honestly, Navy's the more talented football team, but did struggle a little bit down the stretch. But no slouches that they went up against in UCF, Temple, SMU, Notre Dame, and Houston. That's a tough road to hope, but this is a rivalry game. It all matters here. Army got the uh, proverbial you know, win off of their chest last year, that monkey off of their back, finally pulling through a victory. So at least they don't have to go through that this year with a must, 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 must win situation. But we're going to lean on Army in this one, folks. We're going to take the three points with the Army Black Knights here on Saturday versus the Navy Midshipmen rivalry game. I like leaning on the points. Both of these two teams know each other. Obviously, same similar offenses there. Also similar in talent, but I do give the edge a little bit to Navy, but it is a rivalry game, as we said, on a neutral side. Let's lean towards the Army squad, and we'll take the three points, shifting over to NFL action to end up the rest of the season here, at least before New Year's on the toll booth. Let's take a look between the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's going to be some Sunday night football action. We're 
rotation number 131-132. 57% of the tickets are right now lining up to bet those Baltimore Ravens. Line opened up at 6, currently sitting at 5. Folks, we're going to take the 5 points with the Baltimore Ravens in this one. If you take a look at the MO for the Ravens over the past 5 games, going 4-1, and one, obviously winning 4 of their last 5 games, shutting out Miami 40 to nothing, losing to Tennessee by 3 points, shutting out the Green Bay Packers 23 to nothing, beating the Houston Texans 23-16, and downing the Detroit Lions last week in epic fashion, 44-20. Pittsburgh no slouch on their side, winning five straight games there. If we take a look at the Detroit game, 20-15 winners. Indianapolis, 20-17. Tennessee, 40-17. Green Bay, 31-28. Cincinnati, 23-20. A lot of close ball games there, folks. And what we're going to lean on in this situation, or excuse me, this situational betting in football, is we're going to take the Baltimore Ravens because they need this game more than the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers end up dropping this game outright to the Baltimore Ravens. Still sitting pretty in the division. Still should win it rather easily. But next week on deck for those Pittsburgh Steelers, the hated New England Patriots. That game is probably going to decide the overall top seed in the AFC. So keep an eye on that one. We'll take the Baltimore Ravens in this football game and lean on the five points. Not saying Baltimore can easily win this football game, although I do think they can win outright, but they should be able to keep it close in some bone-chilling temperatures. And you saw that hard-fought game that the Pittsburgh Steelers just played versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Some wear and tear on the tires and the tread coming into this game. Let's lean on the Baltimore Ravens. So if we want to recap here, in game 103-104, we're going to take the Army Black Knights there with the three points. And the NFL action, we are going to take the Baltimore Ravens getting the five points over the Pittsburgh Steelers. This has been the Toll Booth edition. Been a lot of fun so far throughout the season. We'll probably catch you around bowl time there after the New Year. So have a safe and happy holiday season. And let's win some money out there. I'm Donnie Wrightside from sportsbookreview.com and DonnieWrightside.com. Let's win some money, folks. Left side! We'll close out the show with a special end of year installment of five minutes in the film room with Joe Burris. Joe and I have been teammates on the basketball court, sports editors for our college newspaper that is no longer in literal print, and hosts for the prestigious John and Joe Sports Show, which was once found on 99.5 WUSR Scranton and the Royal Television Network. Since Joe usually sees more films in a year than the 52 weeks within it, he now holds the reins to this segment, and don't worry, there aren't any plot spoilers, so you'll still be able to see these films, just with a better breakdown of what will be in store if you do so. Along with Joe's final rating of the film compared to something or someone in the sports world. This week, Joe will hand out some end of the year rewards for the booms or busts in the movies for the 11 months of 2017. You can find Joe on Twitter. He's at Duke Mish. That's D-U-K-E-M-I-C-H. You can also read his movie reviews, previews, and ratings at cupofdashjoe.com. Again, that's cup of dash or hyphen or whatever you'd like to call it, joe.com. Joe will assuredly have reviews of some possible Academy Award winners and a preview of the Oscars come 2018. But for now, here is the end of year edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Joe Burris. What's up, everybody? I'm Joe Burris, and this is Five Minutes in the Film Room. Since this is the last show I will be on this year, it's time for some early season accolades. This will cover the best of the best and the worst of the worst from the 2017 movie season so far. 
I've only gotten out to about 35 movies so far this season, but this is where I usually kick it into gear when the Oscar films start making their way to theaters close to my home in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'll get up to about 60 by year's end to prepare for the 90th Annual Academy Awards. But for now, let's focus on the blockbusters and other films released in the first 11 months of the season. As I go through these awards, I will read the nominees except for the winner, and then reveal the winner at the end so I'm not repeating myself. Time to say goodbye to Movie Talk in 2017. Let's go to the tape. Let's start with the Rookie of the Year Award. The nominees are Daphne Keene, Logan, Harry Styles, Dunkirk, Finn Whitehead, Dunkirk. And the Rookie of the Year is... Jordan Peele for his directorial debut in Get Out. This movie came out in February and is still getting Oscar buzz. Not many films can generate that much talk for that long a time. I'm not among the people who absolutely adore this movie, but it is without question excellent. And the way it hit our culture can't be overlooked. Get Out tackles racism in a time when the spotlight is shining directly on our hatred for each other in this country. Cultural relevance is one thing. Looking like a veteran in the director's chair to make one of the best films of the year is another. Peel, also the writer of the film, is able to blend comedy with horror perfectly and add some subtle touches that went over my head on the first viewing. It made for an entertaining and smart film. Next up we have the Julio Franco Award. Franco is a baseball player who never seemed to want to retire, playing for 25 years in the majors, making his last appearance at age 49. So this award goes to the best movie with at least five films in the franchise. The nominees are Transformers, The Last Night, Underworld, Blood Wars, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, and Jigsaw. And the winner of this year's Julio Franco Award is... Fate of the Furious. On its eighth film in the franchise, and with Star Wars coming out in December, Fate of the Furious basically ran unopposed, going up against the worst film in the Transformers franchise, the worst film in the Underworld franchise, along with franchises such as Saw and Pirates of the Caribbean that are a decade past their primes. Fate of the Furious is a drop-off from the last few Fast and Furious films, but it does plenty to entertain with things we love about the franchise. To sum it up, Dwayne The Rock Johnson gets out of his car on a bed of ice to push a torpedo at another vehicle as his car is moving and gets back in the car. The plan works to perfection. If that doesn't make you want to see this movie, you obviously don't like fun. Next we have the Comeback Player of the Year. The nominee is Steven Soderbergh coming out of retirement to make Logan Lucky. But the winner and Comeback Player of the Year is... M. Night Shyamalan for his direction of Split. Shyamalan is no doubt a talented director, but after hits like The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable kicked his career off with Newsweek crowning him as the next Steven Spielberg, Shyamalan fell off a cliff. With films such as Lady in the Water, The Happening, The Last Airbender, and After Earth, he became a laughingstock and irrelevant. His 2015 indie film, The Visit, was generally well-received, but it wasn't until January Shyamalan put himself back on the map with Split. It's a solid movie with a great performance from James McAvoy and a satisfying twist to those familiar with his work. 
Now we move on to the Tim Duncan Award, which honors sustained excellence over years of work. The nominees are Christopher Nolan, Dunkirk, The Marvel Cinematic Universe, which includes Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and Thor Ragnarok this year. Denis Villeneuve, Blade Runner 2049. Matt Reeves, War for the Planet of the Apes. And the winner of the Tim Duncan Award is... Taylor Sheridan for Wind River. While he is not a first-time director, Sheridan has only directed one other film back in 2011. In the meantime, he wrote the screenplay for critically acclaimed and Oscar-nominated Sicario in 2015. He also earned an Oscar nomination for Best Original Screenplay for last year's Hell or High Water. And this year, he wrote and directed Wind River, which should receive more attention come Oscar season. I know it's only three years of work, but while others on the list have a wider range, nobody has a run of three films in three consecutive years with such acclaim. Next up, we have the Play of the Year, which is awarded to the film with the best scene. The nominees are Wolverine's Last Run, Logan, The First Heist, Baby Driver, Peter and Vulture Face to Face, Spider-Man Homecoming, Stairwell Fight, Atomic Blonde, Immigrant Song, The First Battle of Thor Ragnarok, Human Army Turning Heads Toward Caesar, War for the Planet of the Apes. And the Play of the Year Award goes to No Man's Land from Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, to quote The Dark Knight, was not the movie we deserved, but the one we needed. And the moment Gal Gadot, who plays Wonder Woman, steps out of the trenches during World War I, into no man's land, ready to take on the impossible task of defeating the German army across the open field, is the heart and soul of the film. It's perfectly shot and acted, and the score is tremendous. It also moved mostly women in the theater to tears. That moment is something women have been waiting for for years to see on the big screen. It was that powerful and a moment that empowers women while showing men working alongside a woman with mutual respect. No matter how you feel about the DC Extended Universe or this movie in general, you have to respect the No Man's Land scene. From greatness to disappointment, here are the nominees for this year's Anthony Bennett Award, or Bust of the Year. The nominees... Kingsman, The Golden Circle, Justice League, Ghost in the Shell, and this year's Bust of the Year, yeah, you guessed it, it's The Snowman. This movie was in the well-established Gone Girl slot in October, and the trailer made The Snowman look like a haunting thriller, but it turned out even Lifetime would be too good for this film. They didn't even get to finish shooting the film, but they went ahead anyway and edited it together to create a jumbled mess. I'm mostly upset they pulled quality actors into The Snowman, such as Academy Award winner J.K. Simmons, Rebecca Ferguson, and of course, the two-time Oscar-nominated Michael Fassbender. After this and Assassin's Creed, I must implore you, Hollywood, to never cast Michael Fassbender in a bad movie again. And for the final and most coveted movie award here on the bridge... Here are the nominees for Most Valuable Player. Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. Edgar Wright, Baby Driver. Matt Reeves, War for the Planet of the Apes. Kevin Feige, The Marvel Cinematic Universe. Christopher Nolan, Dunkirk. Jeremy Renner, Wind River. 
Taylor Sheridan, Wind River. Kenneth Branagh, for his direction and portrayal of Hercule Perrault in Murder on the Orient Express. James McAvoy, Split, Hugh Jackman, Logan. And this year's MVP is... Director Patty Jenkins for Wonder Woman. Is it the best movie of the year? No. But this is a good movie that succeeded in ways we couldn't even dream of as a movie-going audience. The amazing emotional impact it had on women is something I will obviously never experience, but it is most definitely something I understand, because Patty Jenkins did it right. The film does not elevate women and make men the inferior gender. Instead, it creates a world where men and women learn from each other and respect each other. So the cultural impact is easily the best part of this film. But let's also take into account this was the fourth film in the failing DC Extended Universe movie franchise. Jenkins turned the tide and made the franchise's only critically and financially successful film. Bolstered by great performances by Gal Gadot and Chris Pine, this movie connects with everyone, while other films in the DCEU separate fans. Wonder Woman is arguably the best comic book movie of the year, and a film that will be talked about for years to come. Check. Uh, check, please. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Thursday. And also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find The Bridge on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And can listen to the show live on Wednesdays on TuneIn by searching for Sports Radio America. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll chat with those who worked next to Mike Francesa, who worked with Mike Francesa, who listened to Mike Francesa, and who have ties to Mike Francesa. In The Bridge, Mike Francesa goodbye tour extravaganza show. We'll celebrate Mike's retirement and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.